Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Five years ago this month, Arlington Independent Media launched WERA 96.7 FM with the firm belief that a local radio station was needed in our community. Why? because commercial radio stations weren't doing enough to cover events, people, stories, and culture that define one of the most diverse and innovative communities in the country. Since 2015, WERA producers have filled that void with thousands of hours of informational, entertaining, and uniquely local programs, programs like Aging Matters Radio Show. WERA is currently holding its winter fun drive, so please help celebrate its fifth birthday by making a tax-deductible gift. Help support local voices in your community for years to come. Go to WERA.FM and click the Donate button in the upper right-hand corner, and it only takes a minute. And it will allow WERA to continue to bring innovative and timely programs like Aging Matters to the airwaves. It simply can't be done without your support. Thank you. Now let me tell you about today's program. The holiday season may be different this year because COVID-19 will either limit or prevent in-person visits of adult children with their aging parents or loved ones. Adult children may be at a disadvantage in using traditional extended family time to observe the cognitive and physical skills of their aging loved ones. Today, my guest is Mitch Opalski, certified dementia practitioner and owner of Synergy Home Care in Arlington, Virginia. Mitch is going to talk about how in-home care services provided by home health providers to older adults has changed since the beginning of the pandemic. He's also going to explain a concept called benevolent probing, a way for adult children to observe changes in the status of their aging parents who are living in their own homes. So welcome, Mitch, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's great to be back on your show. And as I always tell you, I'm one of your biggest fans. Thank you for all you do for informing the community. Well, and thank you, Mitch, for your ongoing support. I really appreciate that. So let's get started just by having you explain a little bit about receiving care in in their own homes for older adults. So since the start of the pandemic, why are older adults having a greater preference to remain in their own homes? 
Oh, I think that safety and security really are the key words here. Remember that staying at home is what the health experts want all of us to do, right? To stop the spread of the virus. So really, it's the ideal place to social distance or to isolate if that's your preference. And remember, remember that most of the senior living communities have had coronavirus outbreaks, some of them very serious, uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic. And now they're going through a second wave. And the majority of deaths across the nation have been in nursing homes and senior care facility residents. So really, there's not a lot of incentive right now to move into a facility and, and home is definitely preferred. So Mitch, explain to us exactly what does in-home care mean and why is this type of care especially important for older adults? Sure, you know, I remember the days when some people thought home care meant uh, somebody comes and takes care of your house, cleaning it inside or outside or things of that nature. But no, in-home care means that we're delivering medical care and really a whole host of supportive services in the home to allow us to age in place and or convalesce at home, you know, as opposed to going to a facility to receive those services, be it a doctor's office, a nursing home, or a rehab center. It's really important, Cheryl, now because it's safer for people with uh, mobility issues. For example, think about getting physical therapy at home, you know, with the therapist coming in uh, versus trying to get in the car three times a week and go to the local rehab center. You can see it's obviously safer at home. Also studies show that patients tend to convalesce and heal faster at home. So you have better outcomes uh, and less infections. Let's not forget um, infections or you're more prone to get those in the facility, especially the hospital for obvious reasons. And then for really for aging in place, which is huge, you know, AARP surveys tell us year after year, folks 65 plus in age, over 86% today want to stay at home as long as possible. So in-home care services make all of this possible. The other thing that I wanted to ask you in connection with this in-home care, there's so many terms. Help us understand, Mitch, what is the difference between companion care and personal care. And can you give us some examples of services that are provided under each of these categories? Yeah, that's important to know. So one easy way to distinguish between the two is hands-on care for the individual versus no hands-on care. So personal care involves hands-on assistance, what we call help with your activities of daily living. And those are defined you know, in the healthcare field as bathing, dressing, grooming, toileting, eating and drinking, and safe ambulation and transferring. So companion care would be where the aide or um, you know, the certified nursing assistant comes in, doesn't provide any hands-on care. So it's more about safety, supervision. A big one is you know, social engagement to combat um, isolation, memory care, maybe reminders to take medications, meal preparation. So spending time you know, with the clients and patients um, doing those kind of hands-off activities, if you will. One thing I was wondering in connection with these different kinds of care, how often do uh, the in-home aides or the certified uh, nurse aides, 
how often do they actually provide this kind of care? Once a week or several times a week? Uh, how does that work? Well, to me, this is one of the most wonderful things about the in-home services industry is it's very flexible. So the client really sets up the schedule based on needs. I mean, we operate 24-7, 365. Now, there's sometimes stipulations like a four-hour minimum per visit. Some agencies have a minimum number of hours of service per week before they will take you as a client. But generally, the client sets the schedule, whether it's day care, night care, two times a day, 24 hours a day, or just one time a week. I think we're, you know, we're one of the agencies that will still just come out for four hours a week to help a client with simple things like laundry and running errands, things of that nature. Okay, so you already mentioned about the pandemic and all of the concerns of of social distancing and that. Explain what's happened in the home care um, arena insofar as home care personnel coming to provide the services. Have you established new protocols or what, what are you doing to make sure that both the home care personnel and, of course, the clients stay safe? Oh, wow, Cheryl, that's a really great question. I want to tell you what we've done at Synergy Home Care, and I, I happen to believe we're you are, you know, we're a model. We, we, we've taken the CDC guidelines and we've gone well above and beyond. I mean, so, but generally in, in home care, infection control has been taken to a new level. It's always been important. Uh, caregivers have always washed their hands frequently, you know, worn gloves when appropriate, stayed home when they're sick and that things of that nature. But so now everything is heightened along with a lot of new restrictions. I'll go through some of them with you because I think this is a really key point for your listeners who may be shopping around or getting ready to need these services during the pandemic, they should ask these questions. So it all starts really with, we have to have a healthy caregiver going into the home. So right now they cannot go to work with a symptom of illness of any kind, even if it's maybe not COVID related. They have to call the office and speak with our nurse. We have two nurses who will do an assessment over the phone, you know, inquiry, what are your symptoms, how frequent, this kind of thing. And the nurse will determine uh, whether there's a COVID risk. So it's like a decision tree. If there's a COVID risk, we're sending them for a test. They go, they're going to be on sick leave. They're going to be paid. They cannot go to work until we determine they do or do not have COVID. The other side of the decision tree would be that uh, they just have a cold, the flu or something like that. They're still going to sit home and get paid sick leave but we're not gonna send them for a COVID test. So uh, while we, um, the other instance we have to be careful about is, is if one of our employees has been exposed to somebody else with the virus or with symptoms of the virus. It could be in the household. It could be, you know, in any setting they've spent uh, significant time with such a person. Then we have to put them on quarantine. They, they inform us. And so we also pay them to sit out and not work on quarantine this is another level of uh, risk mitigation. Uh, we do have testing capability. If by this time, any agency should be able to get a rapid test or a PCR test for their employees uh, relatively quickly. And we also uh, make testing available to our clients if we feel that there's been a risk of exposure. One of the important rules we have in place, Cheryl, is our caregivers can only work for one healthcare employer. So if you're working with us, you can't also work in a hospital. You can't also work at a rehab center or a retirement community. 
So, and then once you are on board with us, you have to decide, do you want to work in homes with our clients or go into the retirement communities to do the one-on-one care with our clients there? So we are still going into some facilities that let us in. So if they decide they will work in a facility, they can only work in one. So what we're trying to do is limit them going to multiple locations because in case they ever do get the virus, that way at least they're only spreading it to one location. Um, The other is if they decide they're gonna work exclusively in homes with our clients, we limit them, try to limit them to one client. We have just a handful of caregivers going to two or three clients during the week. That's because those clients all have short hour visits and uh, there's full disclosure that their caregiver is going in other homes and consent. So the other thing, uh, big protocols we have in place are return to work. If our caregiver actually does contract the virus uh, and they um, go through you know, the whole illness process, there are certain protocols we have to follow before they go back to work. Those change all the time with the CDC. We keep up to date and we follow those uh, again for ultimate safety. So those are the big changes that we've made uh, to, like you said, protect the health of our clients, but also our caregivers. I'm also curious, Mitch, if now you've gone through all of this protocol and now the the home care personnel goes to the house, uh, I'm, I'm interested, first of all, to hear about what kinds of changes these personnel are observing about the older adults they care for, because I would imagine that the pandemic has had an effect. We've certainly heard about that in terms of social isolation and depression and that. But so I'd like you to talk about that, but also what happens if the home care personnel goes to the client's home and learns or figures out uh, that 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 client might have symptoms of COVID? How how are all of these various uh, situations handled? Good question. So, you know, what our caregivers are encountering in the home with our clients as far as dealing with the pandemic, it's pretty much across the board, believe it or not. It it ranges from total acceptance and stoicism to, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, constant complaining about isolation and stay-at-home protocols. So, but for sure, we are, we see more anxiety and caution for sure. We get this question a lot from not just our clients, but their family members. How do I know your caregiver is not going to bring the virus into my home? I, I don't have a good answer for that. The virus is out there and, you know, it could be brought into the home. We're doing everything we can to prevent that. But you do ask an interesting question. It's sort of in reverse. What if the client themselves, him or herself presents with symptoms or, uh, has tested positive for the coronavirus now as a, as a, or COVID-19. As a agency, we have a policy that we don't provide service for COVID-19 positive clients. So what we would have to do is actually disengage and terminate our services. We wouldn't just walk out on the client depending on the situation or severity of the need for care. Uh, and, and in that regard, you know, we've put PPE kits in every home that has the N95 mask, the gown, the face shield, in case this situation arises, our caregiver can immediately 
don all that PPE and continue to provide care safely until such time as we decide uh, when it's appropriate for us to pull out, if you will. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because again, this shows how we try to put protections in place for our employees as well. So, um, and then we'll take the client back after they get over their illness and you know they've met the CDC guidelines as far as um, being virus free or not contagious anymore. So many things to think about. Yes, and a lot of anxiety on the part of management at the agency, right? Just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop. Right, right. And that, uh, you know, as you say, if the, if the client might have uh, now the coronavirus, and this may especially be true now during the holidays, families may come to visit or may not. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of segue into the relationship of adult children coming to visit their aging parents or aging loved ones. Uh, would you say just overall first, like start from the beginning here, is COVID-19 likely to impact how adult children are able to conduct family visits with aging parents this year? Oh, without a doubt. Um, just look at the CDC recommendations for Thanksgiving, right? They said, please, no extended sure. family in-person gatherings. Um, and predictions, uh, I don't need to tell you, it's on the news every day, or that the situation will be even worse for Christmas because a lot of people didn't follow those guidelines for Thanksgiving. So traveling and visiting family and friends has been recognized certainly as a major contributor to the coronavirus spread. So, you know, we, I, I personally, as the CEO of the agency, I write updates to my clients and family members. And as part of those communications, I ask them, please limit the number of people coming in and out of your loved one's home because, you know, for their sake, but also for the sake of my employee. So we do try to monitor that and we have discussions and, uh, you know, we flag those situations as higher risk and try to deal with them appropriately. Well, this brings me to the term that I used in the introduction. I thought this was really interesting. It's called benevolent probing. Help us understand what does that concept mean? What's the purpose? And how can adult children use it while visiting with aging parents? And by visiting, it could be an in-person visit if that's appropriate. But I am, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, it could even be done via video or Zoom. But help us understand exactly what does benevolent probing mean? Benevolent probing is a new term that Synergy Home Care has sort of coined. And what it is really, it's a, it's a combination of careful observations and um, considerate conversation, if you will, with your loved one, with the goal of trying to understand his or her current health status. And by health status, I mean overall, you know, physical, mental, and emotional health. So are there basic principles? I, we're going to get into more of the specifics, but is it just the older adult himself or herself, or might it be the surroundings of, of where, uh, where the person is living um, in terms of you know, what it looks like, what you can see. Um, is, is that part of benevolent probing as well, Mitch? 
yes, whether they're in their own uh, home or uh, perhaps living in a facility like uh, assisted living, you want to understand their environment and what risks uh, they have to navigate there as relates to their health conditions. So uh, the, you know, the, the grown children probably want to focus on four areas when they're doing this benevolent probing, which is, again, is a co combination of observation, um, what, either from afar, like you say, through the video or on the telephone, or uh, conversation, you know, questions. So we want to know what is their status with regard to their ADLs, their activities of daily living that I mentioned earlier, you know, their bathing, dressing, grooming, nutrition, medications. Then uh, we want to try to figure out where are they at with their memory and cognition. Uh, you know, all the various forms of dementia come into play here. Is it possible mom is in the early stage of dementia? And so that's going to take us down a certain path. We want to understand their mobility because, listen, as a reminder, the number one health issue for older adults is falls and, and where that leads, you know, usually sometimes to permanent health declines, sometimes to death. And then the last one is uh, social engagement, which is important during the pandemic. How isolated are they? Are they um, still connected with family, friends, neighbors, um, or are they sitting home alone watching TV all day and getting you know, that can lead to depression and a lot of other problems. And by the way, Mitch, I was wondering, is this concept benevolent probing, um, since people may want to follow up, is there some place where uh, listeners can learn more about this uh, benevolent probing? Well, yes, since Synergy Home Care has coined that phrase, we have a really wonderful three-page document uh, that's available if you go to our website, which is easy to remember, synergyhomecare.com, right on the landing page there, the homepage, there's a big graphic on the right-hand side uh, that talks about this document, the 10 top 10 questions to ask um, to figure out if your parents need help. And all you got to do is click on that and um, input your email address and it'll be sent immediately to your inbox. And to me, it's a really nice summary of uh, not only the questions to ask, but then when you have the answers to those questions, what is the next step and the next step after that? Right. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And Mitch, say that uh, website address one more time. I, I wasn't catching it and I want to make sure that our listeners get it. It's uh, www.synergyhomecare.com. Okay. The other aspect of this concept of benevolent probing might be the reactions of the older parents and or the, the loved ones. Do you suspect that when this is conducted, is this done covertly or overtly? Uh, what, how might older parents or loved ones react if they have some sense that their adult children are conducting benevolent probing. And, and that's what that document uh, goes into because depending on the personality of, you know, your parents, the, their reaction to your benevolent probing could run the gamut, you know, from full-on cooperation and acceptance to complete shutdown in a sort of a mind your own business response. Some of it's generational in nature, you know, baby boomers, 
the silent generation. They don't uh, reach out for help. They want to solve their own problems and keep everything to themselves. So you really have to understand uh, your parents' personality and how you're going to approach this. But general guidance would tell you, be gentle, right? And ease into it. You've got to approach it from a place of love, care, and compassion, not fear or danger. Uh, the main thing is not to be confrontational or demanding. You're not going to jump in and try to take over their lives and say, mom, you've, you keep falling in the home. We've got to do this and we've got to do it now. So once you start threatening their independence, you're going to see resistance and you're going to put them on the defensive. So I think it really requires uh, thoughtfulness, understanding um, your parents' personality, and really sitting down and working on a plan to ease into this um, over time. And hopefully it'll come out well and, and a good results. So, but we're going to talk a little bit more about this after the break. We are talking with Mitch Opowski, certified dementia practitioner and owner of Synergy Home Care in Arlington, Virginia. And you are listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Mitch Opalski, Certified Dementia Practitioner and owner of Synergy Home Care in Arlington, Virginia. And we had been talking about benevolent probing, and Mitch had explained some of the concepts and why it's important. But I wanted to get a little bit further uh, into it, Mitch, by asking you, during COVID-19, might it be harder to gain insight about aging uh, parents, uh, their status when conducting benevolent probing? I'm assuming that in some respects, parents kind of do this all the time. This is what we had talked about in terms of any kind of extended visit. But now during COVID, might it be especially tough to gain the information that uh, adult children are trying to find out about their mom and dad? Yes, definitely. It's different because if the adult children are, you know, working extra hard to protect their parents by not visiting or limiting the frequency of visit and also limiting the duration of the visit. Because remember, the longer you're in the same room with somebody uh, and, and there's COVID, the, the higher the risk that you'll pass it to somebody. So, uh, in those instances, where people are trying to be safe. They they can't do the benevolent probing by sight and observation. So that is a very limiting factor. And this is usually true when the family members live out of state, you know, because they're not traveling there because of air travel. If it's really far, if it's not within a day's drive in the car. Uh, they really are staying away. So, yeah, th those are the barriers right now in place to being able to keep track of the health status of your loved one. 
I'm wondering also, we've talked a little bit about this already, but you know, you would think that after nine or almost 10 months, uh, soon to be 10 months of this uh, pandemic, that we would all have learned our skills on video calls or Zoom. Since you uh, you are talking about benevolent probing, are there any ways or tips, especially on a video call? Uh, I, I'm looking for a comparison here of if the older uh, that the children are the adult children are actually visiting mom and dad or a loved one in person rather than on a video call. It might be a little bit easier in person, but can you talk a little bit more about how this might be done visiting versus on a video call? Yes. First of all, it's going to be a lot harder on a video call because normally the folks are sitting right up, you know, next to the camera and you're looking at, at best, a waist up view. And so you have to be a little bit crafty uh, if you want to try to figure out what's going on within the home. I don't know if you could find a way to have uh, your parents move the camera around or the computer or if they're doing it on a smartphone around the home by saying something like, oh, can you show me, oh, you know, my favorite room, the den, do you have a fire going or something? And, you know, they could sort of take you on a little tour of the house. That's a little unlikely, but those are things you could try to do. Otherwise, you can only, you know, surmise by looking at them from waist up. You know, are they, do they look uh, clean? Is mom still doing her hair and makeup? Is dad shaving? You know, their grooming habits, do their clothes look clean, things of that nature. But, but when you go in person, uh, it's so much easier because you set eyes on everything, not just your loved ones, but their, their home, their environment. So you can be a lot more discreet about benevolent probing when you're there in person. You can check things out, you know, without being obvious by just touring the home. And uh, there's a lot of different things you can look for that, uh, that we'll talk about. And I, I wanted to help uh, the adult children understand, I think depending on how long they have been serving or they're in this role, if you will, of, of helping mom and dad or a loved one, do do you find that it's difficult for adult children to move into this guiding role or oversight role and provide some tips in terms of how? I mean, this is all, it could be very new uh, to adult children anyway, but in this new era when we're limited in one way or the other, can you provide some guidance as to how adult children can be more comfortable in uh, assuming the so-called guiding role? Yeah, we call it in our industry a role reversal. And it's often uncomfortable for both sides in the beginning because it's, you know, it's a, it's a 180. You know, you're not the child now. You're in a sense, you're becoming the parent and trying to provide guidance, advice, and nudge them along a certain path. And the you know parents can be very resistant and actually in denial. We we see that a lot. We we have a grown child calling asking for help and saying I've been trying for months. I've been having talks with mom. I'm not getting anywhere. And uh, I say you know sometimes it's because you're a family member. <laughs> they don't want to hear it from you. They don't want the role reversal. 
and uh, bring in a professional. Sometimes they'll listen, you know, or you can seek help from a doctor, uh, the pastor, you know, somebody like that, that they have a lot of respect for and try to, to get inroads there. So, uh, and again, I go back to my earlier comments. Sometimes it's generational, uh, baby boomers and the greatest generation, they're known for their fierce independence. They don't really, they don't feel like uh, they want help. You know, they want to solve their own problems. So when you start interfering and probing and trying to, like I say, help solve their problems, sometimes they don't like that. So for the, um, there are a lot of resources out there, you know, for the adult children to, to help them move into this guiding role. And again, it's our three page document is a good start. But these days, there's a wealth of information, of course, on the internet and other places. We'll probably talk later about some resources. But I mean, generally to answer your question, it's, it's not an easy transition, this role reversal. It takes time and thoughtfulness. And again, you've got to come at it from a position of you know, love and compassion and understanding. I suspect also, Mitch, that for adult children, there's also a fear of what they might find that there are changes in uh, their parents or loved ones. And what does that mean? And especially, again, if they are doing this benevolent probing from a distance, and it's like, oh my gosh, now what are we going to do? Does this mean that they might not be able to stay in their own homes? Is that also part of the issues that they would be dealing with? I think I might hear you describing the adult child being in denial. Uh, this happens as well, where they, you know, they're seeing subtle changes, but they look the other way, or they pass it off to, well, they're just getting older. And this leads me to a point I really want to drive home to your listeners, and that is, please, please, please don't wait for a crisis to occur. Making decisions in crisis mode are usually not the best decisions. They're not the most well-informed. So if you're seeing these small, subtle changes... Like I say, devote some time to it, sit down, make a plan, get with your siblings and, you know, compare notes. And uh, it's important, you know, when you, when you head down this path of role reversal and trying to help your aging parents, if there are siblings, you all got to be on the same page before you move forward, because otherwise there'll be squabbling and disagreement. And then that, that, that kind of friction really hinders, you know, good problem solving and coming up with good solutions. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, the various categories that are part of benevolent probing, and I think it would be helpful. I know that people, and I want you to give that that uh, resource again um, whenever you feel like it, but help adult children understand in each of these areas what they need to be looking for. What are the observations? For example, the first one, the activities of daily living and ability to care for themselves. You you mentioned a couple, but let's just kind of reiterate, because I think sometimes you just don't notice those things because you never have had to do this. And so giving a list would be helpful. Yes. And, you know, once I list these, you're going to say to yourself, oh, yeah, that's common sense, but you just might not think about it. So when we talk about, uh, you know, the number one health issue with uh, older adults being the falls in the home and the fall risks, uh, 
normally because of their age, they're going to end up with bruises from their falls. So you always want to look. Um, it's going to be harder on the screen if you're doing video calls, but in-person visits, you know, pay careful attention to uh, their body and trying to notice if there are any bruises on their body. That's usually an indication um, that they may have had a fall. Uh, other things to look at are their grooming habits. You know, do, does it look like they've showered on their normal schedule? Are they wearing clean clothes? Has, uh, has dad shaved, you know, as it usually does? Is mom doing her hair and makeup? Or have they lost interest in that kind of thing? Also, weight gain or loss is usually an indication, um, you know, of another problem. Either simply they're not eating enough or eating too much, but it could be underlying issues like depression or uh, medical issues. How about uh, if you smell body odor? You know, it could be that they're not bathing regularly or the smell of urine uh, would possibly indicate they become incontinent. And then also check if they're on medications, check their pill box, or if they're not using a pill box, their prescription bottles. Does it appear that they're taking their medications regularly? Because that uh, medication compliance is huge and um, non-compliance usually ends up, you know, they're in the hospital. So those are some of the, the main ones there for the ADLs. I was wondering in that uh, topic area, Mitch, is it also worthwhile to kind of assess what the house looks like? I mean, mom or dad may ordinarily have been a real, um, be very tidy and make sure everything was okay, or there was enough food in the refrigerator, or the dishes were put away or whatever. Can the environment where they're living also be uh, worthwhile checking out as well as you can, of course. Yes, Cheryl, and you've named quite a few of them right there. You want to survey the home environment and look for changes. You know, is there clutter buildup when your, your parents have always been neat and tidy? Uh, a big indicator is mail that's stacked up, not being open, bills that are not paid, or, you know, newspapers that stack up and aren't being read and not even being disposed of. Uh, so general tidiness and cleanliness, does the floor need to be vacuumed? Are there cobwebs? Uh, this kind of thing. And the refrigerator is a huge indicator. You nailed that one. Go look in there. You know, is there food in there? Is it being eaten? Is everything expired? Is there rotten produce? You know, that's a huge indicator. And then don't forget the outside of the home. Is it being maintained? Um the yard and also the exterior of the home, you know, the, is the gutter falling off and not being repaired. And then here's a good one. Uh, if they're still driving, go out and discreetly take a look at the car. Do you see dents, scratches? Could be an indicator they're getting in little fender benders or backing into posts. And, uh, you know, that's huge because we don't want them on the road driving if they're no longer a safe driver. So these are a lot of things you can look for that could point to uh, problems that will usually only get worse. Okay, well, let's, let's go on to the memory status. What, what questions would be helpful to determine uh, an, an older adult parent or loved one's, the, their memory status? Yeah, and this is a good area of focus, you know, with so many types of dementia, people getting it earlier and just the general prevalence of these diseases that are on the increase, unfortunately, in our, in our world. 
But so, so anyway, short-term memory is usually the first to decline. So you probably want to do some probing around recent events and, um, you know, the recent past. So it's something as simple as, hey, mom, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Or what did you cook for lunch today? Or, you know, how's your friend Sue doing? Or, you know, what's new in the neighborhood? And see if they can answer these questions or recall things that might have happened in the past several days. Focusing on current events is a really effective approach because again, it tells you, are they watching the news and are they retaining that information? So, you know, something as simple as, did you guys hear about that terrible hurricane in Louisiana yesterday? What do you think about that? Or, hey, can you believe we're gonna have a new president in a couple of weeks? How do you think he'll do? and see if they can remember who, you know, who was elected president. So if you get a lot of short answers or sort of a brush off on these kind of probing questions, it could be a sign of memory decline because they can't remember, but they want to sort of hide it from you. So they just say, everything's good. Or, you know, they'll, they'll say, hmm, or, you know, or some kind of reaction where they're not actually answering your question. You also mentioned several times, Mitch, about falling. And how, how could questions about mobility uh, be presented? And, and what, what kind of different topics would be appropriate for, the, for this observation? Uh, again, this, there's going to be a different approach uh, for seeing them in person versus um, virtually. But really, you want to try to understand how well are they able to move about their own environment in the home there so that you can assess their, their risk for falls. So, you know, how about are they still able to negotiate the stairs well if there are stairs in the home? Um, and just getting from room to room, uh, are they, do you find them holding on to furniture to keep them steady. So if you're able to observe in person, you want to look at their balance, their gait, their confidence really in their ability to walk safely. And the other thing is transfers. Watch how they get in and out of a chair, uh, in and out of bed, if that's appropriate, because uh, those are the high risk activities where falls usually occur is in those transfers. So also, um, Outside the home, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if they're still driving and you, you're going on a little outing to the store or something, have them drive. And I do this with my own mother. She's uh, 79 now. And sometimes I'll just say, Mom, I just drove down here five hours to visit you. What Can you drive to the store? Because I want to observe her driving skills and make sure she's still a safe driver. And don't forget also the other high-risk activity in the home is showering or bathing. So I'm not suggesting that you watch your parents shower or bathe, but somehow you want to figure out that they're still doing that safely because, you know, there are uh, resources and tools like shower benches, grab bars, uh, things of that, and walk-in showers that, you know, can help make the bathroom a safer place. But you need to know if they're still able to do that activity safely. Yeah, that's. I, I was just thinking about that. We already talked a bit about the general upkeep of older parents' home, and that. And we're going to talk about that in a minute about the plan that maybe there just needs to be more safety measures incorporated into older parents' home. 
uh, it sounds like in some ways there could be ways of, of finding solutions and keeping the older parents in the home versus determining if, if more, uh, if they may not, they not, may not be able to stay there any longer. Would you find that to be true? Oh yes. I mean, what do they call the silver tsunami because of the baby boomers starting to turn 65 several years ago, there's a huge push and emphasis on aging in place services and products and resources, and they're popping up left and right. So um, there's no doubt that you can stay safely in your home all the way up to the day that you move on to the next world. You can do it safely. A lot of times it just boils down to cost. So just know that the resources are out there. They're becoming easier to find. Um, people are talking about these issues more frequently. So you just have to dive in and uh, learn about them, really. You mentioned earlier, again, we're talking so much in this COVID-19 pandemic time about social engagement practices. Is there some way that adult children can learn more about that aspect of their life just by looking at them or visiting them? What what could adult children know in terms of looking at that aspect of their parents' life? Yeah, I think that if you can ask probing questions, if you don't think uh, it's going to annoy your parents to try to get the answers you need, but I think you also need to look and observe very carefully and uh, do a little bit of undercovering yourself if you're able to be in the home. Because, I mean, you want to generally look for signs of isolation, malaise, a lack of desire to do things, boredom. It could be just in the way they talk with you, you know? They don't have a lot of enthusiasm. They're, they're just not their self, if you will, the person that you, you're used to seeing. But if you're able to ask questions and good ans- get answers, you want to ask about their normal routines. Are they still doing the activities they enjoy, their hobbies, if they're able to? Um, probe on their contact with friends and family. You know, when's it, like I said earlier, when's the last time you talked to your neighbor, Sue? When's the last time you emailed uh, the grandchildren? to see if they're actually you know, in contact with people outside their home and staying connected and not, you know, not being isolated. If you want to uh, probe really deeply and take an extra effort, I suppose, you could uh, contact friends and family and even neighbors and ask these questions of them. You know, hey, when's the last time you heard from my mom? Or ask the neighbors, do you ever see my mom and dad come outside the home? anymore. Um, It's a little bit intrusive, but if you could be discreet about it and make sure it doesn't get back to your parents, they probably wouldn't appreciate your asking around town, so to speak, about how they're doing. But again, that would be at your uh, discretion whether you want to go that far. But these are some of the ways you could try to figure out how isolated that they really are. So you talked a little bit earlier, uh, Mitch, about not waiting Uh, if there are some changes. So help us understand now if in many of these areas, you've given a lot of excellent examples of changes that might be occurring. If adult children notice that there are changes in one of these areas or more of these areas, tell us what they should do and also what shouldn't they do. Great. Well, you know, let's call it the talk. 
you need to have the talk with your parents if you notice these things going on. But you can't, I don't suggest that you just dive in and have the talk. I think I mentioned earlier, you want to do some preparation. And let me, let me go back to this document that we prepared called the top 10 signs your parents need help at home. There's a full page devoted to an approach you can take here to preparing for the talk, okay? And I mentioned earlier, if there are siblings involved, first of all, get everybody on the same page so you're going to have one message. Figure out your approach based on how you think your parents will react and start to research and gather information on resources, potential solutions you could offer. You know, we mentioned the bathroom. Um, maybe it needs uh, some enhancements for safety. Then develop a suggested action plan in case your parents are ready to cooperate. And then also importantly, you've got to decide on the setting. Where, where are you going to have this talk? When? When is it most appropriate when you think you'll get the best uh, reception? And then uh, you need to have that talk. And again, um, these kind of conversations are almost always more productive when they're done outside of a crisis. So it's like timing is everything. You want to do it in a calm, you know, environment where they're going to be very receptive and uh, you want to come at it from a really non-threatening point of view. The document that I'm suggesting you get a hold of the top 10 questions even gives suggested opening lines for this talk that you need to have. Call it an icebreaker, if you will. They're very non-threatening, uh, open-ended questions that hopefully lead down the path of really getting um, to the root of these issues and where to go from there. Now, when you also ask the question, what should they not do? And um, that's a good question too. Don't, don't panic, first of all. Uh, when you notice these changes in your parents, don't panic and get them all upset. Oh my God, mom, you've, you're having all these falls. I, can you, do you think you can stay in your home? You don't wanna do something like that. Also don't, as I mentioned earlier, don't just dive in and try to tackle the problem um, and make the decision for your parents. You need a plan, a measured approach. You need their buy-in. You need a discussion that will lead to an action plan or else really you risk meeting a huge roadblock, putting uh, your parents on the defensive. So uh, those are my suggestions on things not to do. I guess one question that comes to my mind as you're uh, explaining this, Mitch, is how do you decide whether to involve or to include your parents in the in this discussion with siblings or uh, whoever is a part of the discussion, and and not having them be a part? Is there any criteria that you use to make that decision? Yes, in fact, we do get calls from adult children um, that, and they say right off the bat, "Listen, I need to talk to you." first before we sit down with my parents, because I need to know all the options, the information. I need your advice on a good approach. So that tells me the parents have already put up roadblocks or they're in denial. And um, this is really a good situation where the adult children should call on professionals, whether it's a home care agency or other resources in the community, or, you know, like, like I just said, finding resources on the internet that give them suggestions. Uh, on how to move forward in this process. 
Well, and and I would imagine that sometimes the home care providers that that are coming to see the clients, they can help perhaps provide input as well to the plan because they may be seeing the the parents more often than the children. Do you agree? Ex- yeah, exactly. And it's very common for home care providers such as Synergy Home Care to collaborate with family members involved in the care uh, decision-making, especially if it's an official role like a guardian or a power of attorney, especially if there's dementia and Alzheimer's involved where you know our clients can't make the best decisions on their own anymore. So we're, we will often... Uh, not only keep the family members informed of what's going on in the home, especially of changes, but su- you know suggest the next step, whether it's you know time to go back to the doctor or it's time to add a night shift or you know it's time to call in a physical therapist to evaluate you know mom's um, problem with walking and and that kind of thing. Okay, well we're just about out of time, Mitch, but. Just very quickly, can you tell us what are the best resources for learning more about benevolent probing and any other in-home care resources that you'd like to share? Sure thing. So one last time, go to www.synergyhomecare.com and click on the the picture and icon that says uh, the top 10 signs your parents need help at home. Get that delivered to your inbox and review it. It's three pages. It's it's an eight-minute read. It's really invaluable. And the, the other thing is, you know, everything's on the internet now. So go there, do a search. But the other professional resources I recommend, you know, in your community or maybe the local area agency on aging, they're the experts on aging issues. Uh, home care agencies like Synergy Home Care, they do free consultations in the home or over the phone uh, to explain the services and how they work and all that. Aging life care managers, they used to be called geriatric care managers, very helpful. And then um, AARP, they have tremendous resources on family caregiving right on their website. They're all free. So those are some of the the big ones that I recommend. Okay. Well, I want to thank Mitch Opalski with Synergy Home Care for joining me today. If you want to learn more about Aging Matters, visit our new website, www.agingmattersonline.com. And if you go to that site, you'll got you can see all the Aging Matters content in one place, including Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. And you can also subscribe to the Aging Matters monthly newsletter, and you'll get monthly updates about new radio shows and TV episodes. So please check out that new site. I want to thank Robert Winship for handling the technical aspects of today's program. And as always... Thank you for listening to Aging Matters. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Thank you.